Amen. You may be seated, church. Thank you, worship team. Doesn't, I mean, the team always does a great job, don't they? But this is one of those Sundays, Jeff, where I feel like your song selection was just anointed. Holy Spirit-led. Perfect music for what we're going to talk about today. Hey, let me ask you guys to pray, and we'll, we'll, we'll take a second to do that here, too, together. But can I just ask you to be in prayer for the Green families today, both Green families? They just have a lot going on. Um, I think everyone has seen Josh hobbling around on his crutches, and he's down to a cane, so he's praising God for that today. Um, but, you know, I don't know if anyone else has noticed this too, but Cassie's going to give birth relatively soon. I don't think during the service, but, you know, so that's, that's there. And then uh, last night, uh, yesterday at a, at a party, uh, Noah had a bad uh, fall and uh, an accident and you know, so just, and then there's an unspoken request as well. And it just, it's just, it's just that, you know, everything's kind of hitting at once uh, sort of time in their, in their life. So if we could, let's just take a moment. And, and I think there are probably other needs in the room too. I know there are. And so let's just take a moment. Let's just pray and ask God to, to be with the greens and, and with other needs in the congregation. Father, we come before you because we know that you're a God of love. You are a sovereign God. You are a holy God. You are an all-powerful God. But our God, you are a God of love. And you care about the things that happen to us. You care about the circumstances of our lives. Lord, I just want to pray right now specifically for the Greens. Lord, I pray that you would be with them. I pray that you would be with Neil and Kim and Noah and Josh and Cassie, and, and just the needs that are concerning them right now, and the, certainly for healing for the injuries, Lord, uh, for Cassie certainly to have a, a safe and a healthy delivery, that the baby's healthy, and, and that everything goes according to plan, Lord. But God, I just pray that you would be very close to them right now, Lord. And I pray as we unite our hearts as their church family, Lord, and come in agreement on this, Lord, that heaven would shake, and our God who loves it when we engage him in prayer, God, as you do, Lord, I pray that you would move in their lives, Lord. And we just pray this all in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Mark chapter 2 is where we are. Uh, you can look in your own copy of God's Word. Verse 18 is where you want to be in Mark 2. And we are going to start this morning, as we usually do, just by reading the text together. Let's read this, Mark two eighteen through 22. Mark writes, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins." 
but new wine is for fresh wineskins. So in our passage this morning, Jesus is asking a question, or is asked a question, and he uses it as an opportunity to take a teachable moment. So I guess the first question is, who are these people? And that's how Mark describes them to us. Them, he doesn't label them as the scribes. He doesn't label them as the Pharisees. They are people, people who have noticed an obvious difference between what Jesus are doing. They're seeing a difference here in their behavior. Jesus' disciples aren't as we should take a step back and ask a different question. What does the Bible even say about fasting? Well, that would be a series of sermons, and I don't have that kind of time. And so I'm just going to take you fasting is closely associated with prayer. Often those two disciplines are linked. Uh, humility. But the question we could ask is, is there a right way to fast and a wrong way? It takes that up for us. If uh, you wanted to turn to Isaiah 58 so you can see the whole context, you could certainly do that. So we can assume that this is authoritative, uh, first of all, because it's in the Word of God, but second of all, it's the voice of God. It's God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. And this is what he says. He's talking to my people their transgression. This is his word to Isaiah the prophet. To the house of Jacob that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God, they ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. So God here is, is being a bit scathed of these verses. But then Israel says to God in the next verse, Israel says, fasting, and you don't seem to notice how good we're being. And he says, behold... In the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. Best. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to hear your prayers. God then goes on in this passage to exp- Is it to bow down his head? Like, catch what's happening here. This is all good stuff. He's doing it's not enough. Because then he goes on to say, Is not this go free and to break every yoke? Is it not not to hide yourself from your own? flesh. God says what we do with our time. When you're fasting, care for the poor. Honor. That's what he goes on to say in the, the next verse. Break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speed. Answer. He's saying if you care for the poor, then I will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pelt for the hungry, and satisfy the desires of the afflicted, then shall scorch places and make your bones strong, and you shall be like a watered nations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the resting. You care for the real needs of people. Church, we see God's heart here. May we learn. It's characterized by caring for the physical needs. When we fast like this, God hears us and John's disciples fasting. Most likely, John had his disciples to fast in anticipation of the coming. 
fast and pray and be ready because the Messiah could also be that at this time Mark doesn't tell us time and so they may even that might even be tied up in why they're fasting the Pharisees fast but Jesus your disciples don't fast as well as to this oral tradition connected to the Torah to the word of God but they were also devoted to this oral tradition that had grown up around remember we talked to people knew how they should apply God's word was their motivation good when they're head to head with Jesus that they will elevate their with the Pharisees throughout the gospel the oral tradition expanded back in the Torah the law of Moses required now over time through the exile for other animals to observe but in addition to these these are fasting twice a week every Monday and every Thursday the Pharisees would fast today if you fast weekly you're not doing anything wrong you're not being like a Pharisee by fasting who are following Jesus notice that his disciples were not fasting and they can it could have been that they were just curious and there's nothing wrong with that it could have also been no from what mark writes it's hard to say it really could be either if it is the latter if they are questioning his authority his authority they're going after him they're questioning him is that a teacher is responsible for the behavior of his disciples which in turn implies that jesus was recognized as a notable of christ jesus mania as we've been talking about through the weeks and in looking at mark's gospel it's growing it's expanding questioning him if indeed that's what they're doing their behavior his disciples is a reflection on him as a teacher is he not teaching them proper jesus uses a common teaching method of his time to answer this question the greek philosophers prior to jesus 400 years before jesus was born socrates was teaching and there's a method of teaching that's still very popular today called the socratic method and it's named obviously for socrates very common teaching technique of his day and still today and so let's look at verse 19 and we'll see how bridegroom with them they cannot fast so don't miss what's happening here people in the crowd ask jesus why do john's disciples and the disciples of the pharisees fast but your disciples do not fast and jesus responds with his own question he doesn't directly answer the question but he responds with a question and an illustration he says can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them And and then we see that this was actually a rhetorical question that Jesus is asking. He's not expecting any of the people who are questioning him to answer him. It's a rhetorical question because he gives the obvious answer to his own question. He says, "As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast." Now, why do I say that this is an obvious answer? What makes this a rhetorical question? Because in referencing a wedding Jesus selects a very powerful illustration that would have made his point completely clear to everyone who is listening when he says this he basically gives a, an illustration that everyone would have understood everyone would have gotten the point of what he's saying here it, it would have made it so clear why because no one listening would have even ever in their life if they were going to a wedding celebration think about fasting it has to do with the jewish understanding of what a wedding was back, back in biblical times and what our 
understanding of what a wedding is. Because if you think in terms of how you understand a wedding and how I understand a wedding, that, you know, we gather together in this room and it takes about an hour, hopefully a little less if you're like me. <laughs> it takes a short period of time and then you have to travel to a, you know, reception hall and, and the, uh, what's that called? Oh, the reception, yeah. And, and the reception takes a couple of hours, right? And that's it. And that's it at that point, right? But that is not what happened during this time period with Jewish weddings. Jewish weddings were joyful celebrations. They were festive and extravagant, and they were the biggest social events of community life at this time. They typically lasted about a week, a week or more. They could go longer. Wine was flowing. Oh, forgive me, we're Baptists. Grape juice was flowing. I'm not going to get into what the Greek word actually means. But wine was flowing. I guess I just did. Jesus makes this comparison to clearly explain why his disciples were not presently fasting. He gives them an illustration that everybody would have understood. A wedding celebration would be the wrong time to fast. It would be as ridiculous as to us as it would be to start a diet Thanksgiving week. Right? I'm not going to do that. Are you going to do that? No. You don't start a diet the week of Thanksgiving. The holidays are not the time to say, I'm going to drop 20 pounds. Right? And everybody would have understood what he was saying here. And so Jesus is using this illustration that everyone would have understood to make the point that it would be completely inappropriate. It would be wrong right now for his disciples to fast because he is with them and the celebration is on. Something new is happening. The king had come. The kingdom was being revealed and he had a new message to share with them. This was a time to celebrate. It wasn't a time to mourn. It was a time to party. It wasn't a time to fast. This wasn't the time to be solemn. It was the time to be joyful. How foolish and offensive it would have been to fast at this time. However, this time of celebration, Christ says, is not going to last Jesus tells his questioners that his disciples will one day have cause for fasting. And so we see in verse 20 in Mark chapter 2, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. This is important for us to catch. Jesus is certainly not against fasting. Please don't think that the point of the message this morning is that you shouldn't fast. That would counter quite a bit of Scripture. And Jesus even says it here. There is going to come a day when they're going to fast. It's not today. Today's not the day they should fast, but they, they will fast because I'm going to be taken from them. He clearly makes the assumption that his followers will fast. However, this is not the season for that to happen. It kind of, as I thought about that this week, I thought about this passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Some of you are not going to be able to get the bird song out of your head after I read this. Classic rock fans, anyways. 
Apparently, there's nobody in here that is. Okay, so Ecclesiastes chapter 3, for everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. There's a season for everything in life. There was a season that his disciples, where it would be very appropriate for them to fast, but they weren't currently living in that season. Why? Because Jesus was with them. He was with them. He's going to speak more of that later. Before we move on from that verse, let me tell you about the one Greek verb in there. It's the verb apyro, and it's translated into probably most of your English translations as taken away. I'll be taken from them right? The bridegroom will be taken. It's the Greek verb apyro. And Dr. James Edwards talks about this idea, and he says, in a normal wedding, the guests leave, eventually leave. Jesus interjects the alien thought of the groom being forcibly removed from the wedding celebration. He's only going to give the boys a bit of this at a time. He doesn't want to overwhelm them, but he's going to start to hint more and more that on the natural level, this is going to get a whole lot worse before it gets a whole lot better. And so he begins to start letting that cat out of the bag here, that there's going to be a time when the bridegroom is taken from them. And when this happens, the wedding guests will fast. Jesus is saying here that when he's taken from his disciples, they'll fast. But, but for now, he's with them. The bridegroom is at the wedding celebration. The king has come to reveal the kingdom. There's something new happening, and this is not the time to fast. And then Jesus explains a little further using two metaphors. Let's take a look at these quickly. These two metaphors, first of all, first of all in verse 21, he says, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. Just like it's inappropriate to fast during a celebration, Christ is saying, it would be foolish to sew new cloth onto an old garment. And then he offers just one more illustration, our last verse today, verse 22 he says, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Jesus is saying here, just like it's inappropriate, it's inappropriate for the guests of the wedding to, to fast while the bridegroom is still there, just like it's foolish to sew new cloth onto an old garment. Jesus is saying here in this verse, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense to put new wine into old wineskins because if you do that, the results are going to be disastrous. What is Jesus communicating with all of these metaphors? That's probably the real question we need to ask this morning so that we can walk away from God's word today with something to take for our own lives. He is revealing the radical new nature of the kingdom. What Jesus is trying to teach these people in this moment is that God's kingdom is going to be something radically new. 
His kingdom is something entirely different from the old. Dr. Warren Wearsby writes this about this subject. He says, Jesus came to usher in the new, not to unite with the old. The mosaic economy, the laws, what he's talking about, was decaying, getting old, and ready to vanish away. Jesus would establish a new covenant in his blood. The law would be written on human hearts, not on stones. The indwelling Holy Spirit would enable God's people to fulfill the righteousness of the law. Jesus didn't come to reform Judaism. He came to create something brand new, something transformative, something that would happen within our hearts, not just the obedience of our wills, church, but something that would radically change who we are on the inside. Amen? That's what Christ came to do. His new message, the gospel, will not be contained by Judaism, certainly not within the rituals and the legalism of the Pharisees. The Old Testament prophets preached submission to the Torah, but Jesus came to fulfill the Torah. The Old Testament prophets called Israel back to covenant renewal, but Jesus established a new covenant between God and man. For those who know their need for God, the sick in need of a physician, the broken in need of transformation, it wasn't time to mourn, it was time to celebrate. It was time to get the party started. Jesus was the new cloth, the new wine, and he was bringing new life. The Apostle Paul, I believe, is talking about this idea when he says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. Dr. Mark Strauss writes about this idea, and he says the kingdom of God is inaugurating a new age of salvation that is fundamentally incompatible with the old. Jesus is not here to put a patch on Judaism. It's not what he came to do, but to inaugurate the new creation. His mission is not simply to reform or patch up Israel's religion, but to inaugurate a new era of salvation, the kingdom of God. I think this is what the author of Hebrews is talking about in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, when he writes, For since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come, Judaism was but a shadow of the gospel, of the good things that were to come. Instead of true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. What makes the difference? The very fact that this king, who is preaching something radically new called the gospel, is going to lay himself down as the perfect sacrifice. He's going to lay himself down so that he could make perfect once and for all those who would turn from their sin and trust in him alone for their salvation. And so I I just need to pause in this moment and say to anybody in the room or anybody who's listening to me online right now, if you're watching online or you're right here, and in your heart you know that you have never made that decision to turn from your sin and to trust in Christ alone for your salvation, let today be the day. Let this be the moment. 
turn away from the sin that you are drowning in and turn to the Savior. Put your hope and your trust in Christ because he alone has the power to save. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so let this be the moment. Right now, in the quietness of your own heart, I could have an altar call this morning, but I don't need to because right now, if you express belief in God, and if you tell God right now in your heart, I'm turning from my sin and I'm going to trust in you to save me, that is the start of something that you're going to walk out the rest of your life. But make that decision today. My encouragement would be to you, if you're doing that right now, if you're putting your faith and trust in Christ, let me know, let someone else here know so that we can help you take some first steps. But you can do that right now in your own heart, in the quietness of your own heart. But let today be the day where you enter into the new life that Paul was talking about. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The old can be gone today. The sins of yesterday, if this is you, I just feel my spirit. This is for somebody in the room right now. And if it's you, the old can be gone. You think it can't. You think that there's no possible way God can forgive you, but I'm telling you he can. The blood of Jesus Christ is more than sufficient to wash away that sin. Amen? And so put your hope in him. Put your trust in him. Well, church, for the saved and those being sanctified in the room, because none of us are there yet, right? I don't think anybody would claim to be there yet, right? Please assure me, none of you think you're there yet, right? This is not rhetorical. Answer me. <laughs> All right, good. <laughs> How should we respond to that? I was hoping I wasn't pastoring a church of perfect people because you got the wrong guy standing up here, if that's the case. Okay, so how should we respond to God's Word today for those of us who are on this journey together? Well, I got a couple ideas for you. Actually, I'm going to let men smarter than me share a couple ideas with you. Dr. N.T. Wright contends this. He says, when God is doing new things, we should join the party. When God's doing something new, we should join the party, church. That sounds easy and even fun. Not grumble because the new wine is threatening to burst our old bottles. A good deal of day-to-day -day Christian wisdom consists in sorting out the new from the old. I really like this next quote from my old seminary professor, Dr. Carl Hoke, who's a man I sat under um, in Grand Rapids years ago. Dr. Hoke was five feet tall and about five feet wide. Just a little German guy. Uh, he, was, uh, he had a master's degree in music before he became a Christian. Concert pianist, unbelievable classical pianist. Uh, also played the accordion like nobody's business. You have never been, we we're talking about wedding celebrations today, you've never been to a wedding celebration until you've seen a five-foot German guy dance around the hall playing the accordion, playing the beer barrel polka with a bunch of Christians. It's, it was, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. But this is what Dr. Hoke wrote in his tremendous book, All Things New. I would strongly encourage that you read that. But, um, Dr. Hoke wrote this, What is the significance of this parable? 
Jesus did not come to patch up Judaism, but to establish something new. If the church is to continue being the church, it will always need new forms to accommodate the changing needs of society as the gospel breaks down every barrier and penetrates deeper and deeper into the nations of the world. Contextualization of the gospel is not an option. It is an indispensable requirement. The church cannot wear the fashions of days gone past. Rather, it requires a new wardrobe for every new period of its history. May the standard of the old is good enough not stymie the advance of the gospel a day longer. Listen, this is written by a man who was a classically trained pianist. His music that he loved was Chopin, right? That's what he loved. But he knew, he knew that the methods, the old methods, could never stand in the way of the gospel. We can never be bound by our tradition, friends. Listen, I want to make sure this is crystal clear as I wrap up right now. This is the point right here. Our message never changes. Our message never changes. We are a church that is building on the solid foundation of the gospel and only the gospel. I better hear an amen. Amen. All right. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is shifting sand. Beautiful old hymn, beautiful truth. It's not about doing away with the old for the sake of doing away with the old. Not at all. We are absolutely committed, church, to the inerrant and the authoritative word of our living God. All 66 books. Amen? Absolutely committed. We make no apologies for being absolutely committed to God's word. But let us never let our traditions stand in the way of our mission We cannot allow our traditions to stand in the way of our mission. I believe that the Holy Spirit is leading this body of believers right now. And may we have open hearts and open minds to embrace a new day here at Fellowship. Because I don't know about you, but I believe that God still speaks. And I believe that he is leading us into a new day. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Let's pray together. Worship team, come and help me out up here. I need it. Let's pray as they come. Father God, I just thank you for your word this morning. Jesus, I thank you so much for your teaching. I thank you, Lord, that you loved us so much. You loved us so much that you went to the cross for us, that you made atonement for our sins. Lord, you you sacrificed yourself. You gave the perfect offering to completely wipe away all of our sins, to make it as though we have never sinned. <laughs> Jesus, how, how could you love us so much? How great is your love that you would do that for us? But Lord, I also thank you that when you spent these years on the earth ministering, you taught and you gave us so much truth to cling to. And Lord, we accept the gospel as something brand new, something that was brand new from Judaism. You weren't trying to reform the old. You were bringing a new message. You were establishing a new covenant between God and man, one that was full of grace and love and compassion and mercy, one that brings 
man close to God, near to God, one that tore the veil in the, the most holy place that we have the privilege now because of the cross come into the holiest place and to pray anytime we want, to come and to meet with you, Christ. Lord, we thank you for this new and living relationship that is ours because of your sacrifice. Lord, you've done something new and you're in the process of making us new. We are new creations in you and you're renewing us each day. Lord, we thank you for the abundant life that you have called us to. God, may we as a church have open hearts and open minds to follow you, Lord, wherever you lead us to consider new ways to reach people who need to know the gospel, to get out into our communities, Lord, to, to not ever hide behind these four walls, Lord, but to engage our communities with the gospel and with the love of God so that we can invite as many people as possible into this relationship with you. Our friends, our family members, our coworkers, our neighbors, they don't know what real joy is until they come to know you, Jesus. Would you use us? Would you use us individually, Lord? And would you use us as a church? God, that's my prayer for fellowship. Lord, that we would have open hearts, open minds to follow you wherever you lead us, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Steve.